stuck in traffic again. It's no fun. It's also a disaster for the environment. It's estimated that transportation accounts for roughly 44% of Ottawa's greenhouse gases. That's an alarming number. Ditching cars altogether would be a lovely solution, but let's be realistic, that won't happen anytime really soon. The sad truth is we've become addicted to our motorized lifestyles. So here's to way more walking and biking. But today we're going to look at another critical transition on the road to a net zero future, electric vehicles. I'm David Paré, and you're listening to Decarbonize Ottawa, a podcast devoted to exploring climate change, what it means, and what we can do about it in Canada's capital city. In this episode, I visit with Raymond Lurie to unpack some popular conceptions and misconceptions about electric vehicles. I came across Raymond Lurie when I was watching a webinar about electric vehicles. I don't own one yet, but I'm hoping to, and wanted to learn more about them. Raymond is president of the Electric Vehicle Council of Ottawa, EVCO for short. EVCO is a non-profit group devoted to promoting the electrification of transportation in Ottawa. He told me he's had the electric vehicle bug for a long time. Uh, well, actually, it goes way back to when I was a kid. I've always been concerned about the environment. I've always been um, very interested in, in, in uh, scientific developments and, and following what's been happening from a climate change perspective and all that. So from my perspective, uh, I've had a, a good career and it's, uh, it's time for me to give something back. So um, and from my perspective, really, if you look at climate change and greenhouse gases, um, given that about 40 percent of our emissions in, in Ottawa come from the transportation sector, it's an easy way for us to, uh, to reduce significantly the amount of greenhouse gases that, uh, that we produce in the city. So when I bought my first EV about eight years ago, um, there wasn't very much choice out there, right? And um, and you had to pay a premium to uh, to get an electric vehicle. So it wasn't just about uh, saving money uh, with with uh, fuel costs that are uh, lower. You know, electricity is quite a bit cheaper than than gas or diesel. It was more about of a, a passion purchase, right? But if you look today, there are many many more models on the market, and there are many more that are coming out uh, essentially every week just about and um, Bloomberg uh, New Energy Finance is saying that uh, by 2023 I believe we'll have about 500 different models available worldwide uh, that are full EVs so you know before it was it wasn't obvious to find the vehicle that would fit your lifestyle or what you need to do for a vehicle whether it's for work or, or with a family 
but uh, as we are moving forward there are more and more solutions that are out there that that uh, you know meet the needs of anybody that uh, is looking for a vehicle and um, so so it's easier to access them also there's more uh, you're, you're seeing more units at, at um, dealerships so before you know five years ago if you look for an electric car even if you were sure you wanted to buy an electric car you would go to a dealer and they would have none on the lot so you couldn't try them and they had gas cars uh, or diesel cars on the lot and they would try to sell you those because that's what they had right so now we're seeing dealers in the auto area in particular that have multiple uh, units in inventory uh, that uh, that you could essentially draw or buy and drive away in a couple of days just like you would with a gas car Having spent a bunch of time talking with Raymond, I don't think he'd mind me describing him as a gearhead. You may have caught a glimpse of it there. This guy really knows cars and engines, both internal combustion and electric, and he's passionate about the prospect of transportation going electric. So I decided he was up to being pushed a little on some of the key issues raised by the naysayers. I'd give him a chance to make his strongest case for electrification. The first issue I threw at him was about the production of electric vehicles. Aren't greenhouse gases being burned all the way down the production chain? And aren't electric vehicles just replacing an old pollutant with a new one? Uh, well, that, that's a question I get very often, actually. So um, in terms of the actual carbon footprint of the existing vehicles in market right now, it really depends on the vehicle. Okay, so if we take some specific examples, we to if we take the Bolt, uh, the Chevy Bolt, uh, which is an electric car, and we compare it to the Chevy Spark, which are, they're both built in the same plant in Ohio, right? So the Bolt has a higher carbon footprint than the Spark for sure. It's got about 20% higher carbon footprint. Why? Mostly it's because it's got this big battery that adds weight to the vehicle and um, and requires mining and transportation and all sorts of things to uh, to produce it, right? So, uh, and Ohio happens to be a uh, jurisdiction where there's a lot of coal that uh, produces, uh, that's used to produce electricity. So the plant there would be uh, very dependent on, on, uh, on uh, electricity that's high in carbon uh, footprint. Now, if you look at some other examples, the uh, Volkswagen ID3, uh, ID3 is not sold in, in uh, Canada, it's sold in Europe, but the ID4 is being introduced in Canada shortly. And the plant that's producing those cars is actually carbon neutral. Okay, so, so what uh, Volkswagen is doing is they're looking at the full life cycle of the vehicle and their intention uh, over the next uh, decade or so is to uh, is, is to have a full life cycle from the mining of the raw materials to the transformation, transportation, production, and use of the vehicle. They want the whole life cycle to be carbon neutral. Okay, so in that case, it's actually a car today that's much greener uh, in terms of carbon footprint than what a, a Bolt would be. There are other examples like Tesla. They use green energy for most of their operations in their plants. Uh, they do use uh, fossil fuels uh, up, up and down the, um, uh, the supply chain, uh, but, uh, but they do use lots of green energy. So they're probably somewhere in between, right? So it really depends on the, uh, the vehicle. Raymond did concede that the kind of information that rolls off his tongue so readily 
isn't easily accessible by the average consumer. And that's a problem. There needs to be more work done in that area, not just for electric vehicles, but for all consumer products. How much greenhouse gas was released in manufacturing them? But when it comes to electric cars, there's another potentially hidden source of GHGs. It has to do with the source of the electricity that you charge your vehicle with. So that was my second challenge to Raymond. I asked him to convince me there are clean sources of electricity out there. Uh, here in, in Canada, and uh, particularly in Ontario, Quebec, Manitoba, Newfoundland, BC, and I believe New Brunswick, um, the, uh, the grids are very clean, uh, very much hydro-based in Ontario, nuclear-based, uh, some hydro and wind and others. Um, so they're very clean uh, um, very clean grids that uh, so when you when you're using the car uh, you are using clean electricity so the carbon footprint is quite low uh, in Ontario in particular where we we both are uh, charging at night results in using cleaner electricity because the peaker plants that are in Ontario are only used during the day when there's there are peak demands right so during the summer it's it's uh, sunny hot sunny days uh, in the winter it's the morning rush and the afternoon rush that are the peaks. But at night, there's excess capacity uh, that's produced from green sources or carbon-free sources uh, to include nuclear. And uh, if you charge at night, you're using only the clean stuff, right? Now, there are other examples. Uh, if you look at Alberta and uh, some U.S. states where they use lots of coal, uh, the, um, the electricity's carbon footprint is higher than it would be in Ontario. However, the total uh, carbon footprint is, is still less than oil and or, or diesel uh, because of the efficiency involved in the, the plants and all that. But uh, you're, we're talking about a reduction of carbon footprint of uh, on the order of 30%, even with 100% coal uh, electricity, right? And if you look again at what uh, Alberta and the rest of Canada is doing, and actually we're seeing the same thing in the U.S., uh, power plants are moving away from coal for a bunch of different reasons. So the grids in, in most jur jurisdictions are getting cleaner as, as time moves uh, ahead. So at some point, Alberta, uh, driving electric will be as beneficial from a carbon footprint perspective as what it is in, uh, in Ontario or Quebec or Manitoba and other provinces. Okay, the next challenge I had for Raymond was the question of whether the grid could even handle it if everyone rushed to ditching their internal combustion engines and charging their cars in their driveways. In answering me, Raymond made a critical distinction between production and capacity. Production refers to how much electricity the grid is putting out. But as he explains, electricity grids are capable of putting out, or producing, that is, more than they do, specifically at night. Capacity is about what a grid is capable of producing if it was operating optimally at full capacity. As he explains, there are strategies for getting the grid to produce more. On the other hand, when it comes to upping the capacity, that would mean accessing new sources. But Raymond doesn't think new sources will be necessary in Ontario for the foreseeable future if we manage how and when we access the grid. 
So, so that's a, another common question and a very interesting question, actually. And uh, I've been uh, doing a lot of reading and participating in, in webinars uh, with electric utilities uh, to get some insight uh, into this. If you look at what Bloomberg New Energy Finance uh, says, uh, they're saying that 100% uh, fleet electrification. So we're talking about light vehicles, medium, heavy-duty truck, and transit buses, all of that being electrified would require an additional 25% of electricity production, okay? So that's production, it's not capacity. The very important distinction. So if you look at uh, what I was saying before about you know charging at night, uh, we actually have a surplus of electricity at night in, in all jurisdictions because the grid is, is built to meet the peak demands, right? So a lot of the extra production we need could be done at night and, um, and uh, v batteries for these vehicles would be largely charged at night. So that's certainly the case. Uh, with the transit authority here in Ottawa, OC Transpo, they've just announced a transition to electric buses, and they will be charging in garage at night when there's less demand on the grid, right? So will that require additional production capacity? Probably not. At some point, there will probably be need, you know, we'll probably need some additional uh, capacity, but it's mostly the production that needs to shift at di different times of the day, right? So, um, so, in essence, we won't need a huge oversupply of electricity to, to do the transition. We will want to have some increase in the production uh, for, for other reasons. Uh, but we're talking about, you know, 25% additional production, again, not capacity, over the next 20 to 30 years. So over 20 to 30 years, it's, it's less than 1% a year we're talking about. By this point, Raymond was doing a pretty good job allaying some of my concerns about going electric, but I wanted to hear what he had to say about the materials that go into electric vehicles, specifically the batteries. Nickel, cobalt, lithium, rare earth minerals. Some of these get a bad rap, especially for the conditions under which they're mined. Uh, well, that, that's, a, that's a, a fairly... Um a fairly complex uh, question. So first on the rare earths, um, it's um, modern car batteries, electric vehicle batteries do not contain any rare earths. So there used to be some batteries, uh, the uh, the uh, Toyota Prius in particular had some rare earths in the battery. Uh, but if you look at batteries from uh, GM, uh, Tesla, Hyundai, uh, those manufacturers uh, that are producing uh, full EVs, they do not contain any rare earths at all, okay? They do contain lithium. Uh, lithium is not a rare earth and it's not a rare element either. It's quite abundant in the crust. Now, um, if we talk about cobalt, the cobalt is the one that uh, tends to cause the most controversy. It turns out that about 60% of the worldwide supply of cobalt comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo, the DRC. Now, about 10% of that 60% comes from illegal mines that may have child labor, okay? I say may uh, because it's not clear that they do have child labor. Uh, nobody's in favor of child labor. Let's, let's not, let's not um, you know, let's not misrepresent what I'm saying here. Uh, you know, and EVs have an environmental footprint and all products have an environmental footprint. 
the point is that uh, uh, it's not clear that cobalt mines do have child labor. And the pictures that we see that are widely circulated on the internet, uh, they appear to be reused from some gold mines where there is some child labor in other countries than the DRC. Um, that being said, the, the, uh, the, the DRC is uh, working on trying to control that problem. Uh, a couple of things to note with, with uh, cobalt. Um, the oil industry doesn't tell you. So this is really the cobalt thing came out of some oil industry talking points. And uh, the oil industry doesn't tell you that currently there's about as much cobalt used to remove sulfur from, from crude oil as there is going in uh, EV batteries. Okay, and there is also uh, the, the cobalt is used for other purposes for uh, ceramics and glass uh, and all that. So, uh, so it's widely used in other processes, and we don't hear about them uh, in in that uh, perspective, right? Another thing to note about cobalt is that cobalt is expensive, and because it's expensive, and because of the the you know the alleged uh, child labor issues that are that are politically problematic. Uh, companies are trying to eliminate cobalt from their batteries. So if we look at Tesla in particular, they've already reduced the cobalt by uh, 90% in their batteries, and they've announced that uh, their new uh, technologies that they uh, will be uh, free of cobalt. So, um, so batteries, future batteries, will likely not have any cobalt uh, in them at all. While Raymond is clear he doesn't mean to have a definitive answer to the question of unethical labor practices and the mining of electric battery elements, he does offer the reminder that there's lots of information floating around the internet, not all of it accurate or honest. The oil industry has strong reasons to sow doubt about the viability of electric vehicles while deflecting attention away from its own practices. At the end of the day, we all have to use our own judgment in wading through the information available to us, and that includes this podcast. If you're still curious about the prospect of switching to electric, Raymond had so much to say about this topic that I broke it into two. Look out for the second half called Going Electric, Part 2. That's all for this edition of Decarbonize Ottawa. If you found this useful, check out some of the other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and spread the word. There are sustainable alternatives to the way we live our lives and the time for change is now. I'm David Parry. See you next time. Music